How are we doing this morning? Doing all right? All right, quick question for you guys, you Sturgis people. How many of you have been to the New Meyer already? Yes! How many of you, hey, today's our grand opening. How many of you are going right after church to the grand opening? Some of you, yeah, yeah. That's great. No, good store, good store. Uh, hey, we're excited. I'm excited. Uh, my name is Pastor Ryan. If you don't know who I am, I'm the lead pastor here at Radiant Life. And we are launching into our new series um, for the next several weeks, we'll be in the Superpower series. And what I want to look at is in a book, uh, a letter to us that's found in the Newer Testament of Galatians. So if you want to turn there now and just hold your spot, you can. But we're going to talk into tapping into this power that's given for all believers. Because oftentimes, these aren't natural responses that we have in life with conflict. And in fact, here are these what, what we're deeming superpowers, you've probably seen them as the fruit of the Spirit, nine character traits that Paul writes that says the fruit or the response of the Spirit, referring to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And we're titling these superpowers because these aren't our natural responses to life. When conflict comes in, on our lives and we're just bombarded with conflict, our natural bent is not these nine character traits. When you're hit with difficulty in your life, your natural response is not joy. When someone is beating you verbally, your natural standard operating procedure is not kindness back to them. And Paul, who was a church destroyer to church planter, writes these nine special characteristics that Paul says, every believer, follower of Jesus, you can tap into these when the Holy Spirit's on your life. When we're dealing with money, food, and hobbies, sometimes self-control is not the very first thing we think of. So we're going to look into this letter that Paul writes to this area known as Galatia, and we're going to try to understand it in two categories first before we hit this. When we understand the people and when we understand the problem Paul's trying to address, this is going to make a whole lot more sense to us in our lives. So if you will, turn with me to Galatians, found in the Newer Testament, chapter 1. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four writers of the gospel, of the life of Jesus. You have Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then you're finally there to Galatians. And first we're going to set up, we're going to talk about the people. Because when we understand the people, then we're going to understand there's a problem with the people, and then we're going to understand why in the world Paul writes this. But it's a letter that Paul writes. It's the kind of letter we get snail mail, snail mail in the mail, snaily, uh, to us. You know what I mean, right? And we always got who it's addressed to, and then who it's by. We always get that. So Paul writes to this region, and in it, we're going to open up the letter, and we're going to find out what Paul has to say. He begins this way. He says, Paul, an apostle. An apostle means one who is sent. Paul, an apostle, sent not from 
men or by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me. Now, immediately we get a clue of who this letter's from. It's from Paul. Paul's basically saying a greeting. This is Paul. I'm not being sent from man. I'm not being sent by a group of men. I'm being sent by Jesus Christ, uh, who has been raised from the dead by God. This is who I'm coming to you. And I'm not alone. There's brothers and sisters who are with me right now as I write this letter to you. See, what Paul does right now is Paul takes three missionary journeys. He travels all throughout the Roman, Roman Greco world telling and sharing about the good news of Jesus Christ. So he goes into a city, and once he arrives in the city, he begins to teach everyone about Jesus. Then at the end of his teaching, he asks, does anyone want to follow him? And several people will come forth. And he gathers these people into a community because you can't do life alone. One of our core values here. And he gathers them into a community, and he begins to teach them more. What does it look like to follow Jesus in your life? And after he establishes that foundation with this core group of people, it's then they establish a church. And once they establish a church, he leaves and goes to the next city and begins to talk to them. And so Paul says, hello, I'm Paul. I'm sent by God. And then the rest of verse, of, of verse 2 says this. To the churches in Galatia. So we immediately know two things. We know who's writing the letter, Paul, and we know who it's to. The churches in Galatia. Now for us, we have no idea where Galatia is. That's why I got a map for you. So let's hit the map. Here's Asia Minor, which is uh, present-day Turkey. You've got on the right side of the screen, down at the bottom, that would be present-day Israel down there. This is Asia Minor. This is where one of Paul's huge regions he goes in just to share and tell people about Jesus Christ. And these are the five churches that Paul establishes on his very first trip here. You've got Perga, Lystria, Antioch, Iconom, and Derbe. Those are the five churches he establishes. And this region is known as Galatia. So these are the five churches he's writing to. And as he writes to these five people, these five groups, these five churches in Asia Minor, we have to understand there are diverse people here. There's two major groups in this region. Number one, you have what is considered to be very conservative, morally conservative group of people known as the Jews. This group of people are very strict. They follow the Ten Commandments. They follow the 613 laws of the Older Testament. They are as strict as you can be. They follow everything. They have dietary commands that they follow. Extremely strict. And what the Jews begin is as Paul comes into these cities, as the Jews begin to hear about this Jesus thing, they begin to leave their Judaism and become a Jesus follower. But they carry with them some of their old thoughts and habits with them. Here's a picture of a Jewish synagogue that they worship at. This is, would be, most of the times they're in the central location of the city. Everything revolves around religion. And what would happen here is this is their place of worship, and you actually had benches all the way across. That was for your elders 
to sit there. Men and some of the younger kids would actually have to sit on the floor to hear this. So get rid of the pews, get rid of chairs. You're just flat out on hard cement ground sitting there for hours. And then on top of that, many times they had a second level. And sometimes the women would be up there on the second level or they're down here on the floor. And attached here, if you can see to the far right of the screen, you can barely see, is a school. Everything was drenched with their religion. But they were extremely, extremely morally conservative people. And Paul has to deal with those people. Now there's a second group of people in this region of Galatia that we have to understand. And the second group is basically everyone who's not Jewish is considered to be a Gentile. Gentiles are the complete opposite of that group. They are the morally open, the morally liberal group of people. In fact, they worship several gods. This group worships one god. This group worships several gods. They worship the god of Apollo, of Zeus, of Hermes, whoever, you name it, they worship them. And here's a temple of what the Gentiles worship at. These were massive temples. And in fact, if you were a Gentile, you could choose any god you want to worship. You pick the god, you go and worship it. Great. That's how you worshiped. What was also about this society, the Gentiles, was they did these drinking parties every single night. You could choose to go to them, or you could choose not to. They're called Greek symphony, or um, symphonies. This is a picture, a, um, a depiction of one. You would go there after work, a long day of work. You would go to these big, huge halls and just drink and devour all you want. It's unlimited wine, unlimited food, and you do what you want. And imagine after a hard day of work, you go to one of these and you just let everything go. And this is their culture. This is what the Gentiles did all the time. But what the Gentiles started to realize is that this way of life wasn't really leading to true life. So when Paul comes into a city, he's got the extreme conservative group that says our way is the right way, and you have these people over here, the Gentiles, who are just as open, as liberal as possible. And Paul comes in and says, guys, I need to tell you about Jesus. I need to tell you about Jesus. And then come with me. And we got to establish a church. we got to establish a community so you guys can go and share with others who Jesus is. And so add the morally conservative with the morally liberal. Join them together. Surely they can set their differences aside, right? Nope. Because people are messy. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, you're messy. Go ahead. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I'm messy. <laughs> so we establish the people in Galatia that Paul establishes. And after he leaves, he's dealing with the Jews. He's dealing with the Gentiles. They're trying to do church together now. But a problem arises. And Paul addresses that in his letter. In verse 6, it says this. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really, what does that say, church? 
He's just devastated. He says, I come in and I work with the conservatives, I work with the liberals, I bring them together, just like government, nothing ever gets done. When you bring the two groups together, nothing gets done. And now I brought you the gospel message and you guys are deserting it. You guys are turning to a gospel that's no gospel at all. And then in verse 7, he says, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to what? trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So he says, church, even though I established you years ago, you got a gospel problem. Not only am I bringing the Jews together and the Gentiles because everyone is together in Jesus Christ, the problem is there's something deeper going down inside of your hearts. You're perverting the good news of Jesus Christ. And in fact, if we were to bring Paul in this morning, and this is Paul's teaching all the time when he goes to church to church, he brings the gospel message, which is the gospel message in our language. We call it the good news. We call it the message of Jesus Christ. And if Paul was here, this would be his four points that Paul would say. The gospel is people are sinful. That there's a sin problem. We're messy. And from birth, we are broken, and our nature is bent towards sin. And sinful people deserve hell because there's a loving heavenly father who loves you so much that's so perfect, that's so holy, he can't be around sin. But a loving father doesn't stop there. A loving father sends his son Jesus to die and to forgive you of your sins so that relationship can be reconciled again. Then Paul would go around and say, you must believe in Jesus because there's a loving heavenly father who wants a relationship with you. And Paul would say, it's because of this, what happened years ago. You guys are perverting this. Why? Jesus took all this for you. And you know, you don't have to do all these things in order to enter into a relationship with Jesus. All you have to do is put your faith and trust into this. But some of you are perverting this. Why? For some of you this morning, as we like to say, you've never done that yourself. You're kicking the tires around just... Keep kicking on and just, man, I don't know where. Should I put my faith in Jesus? Should I not? I enjoy coming to this church thing, and I, I just don't know where I stand in my faith. Hey, keep kicking the tires. Keep asking questions. Keep coming. But only Jesus will fill that void in your heart. Maybe some of you right now just need to bow your head and say, Jesus, I confess I am sinful. I've gone my own way. And I'm just surrendering my life to you this morning. Maybe some of you need to do that right now. Maybe some of you have just gone off the beaten path. Gone your own way. You surrendered once, but you've lived your life, and you just need to rededicate your life right now in this instance. But Paul says there's some of you who are perverting this gospel. And we have a gospel problem. Why is there a gospel problem? 
See, when the Jews come into a relationship with Jesus, these are the morally conservative ones. They abide by all these commands and restrictions, where the Gentiles do not. And when you bring the two groups together, the Jews are having a little issue with those guys over there. They're saying, you got to follow everything that we do, because we're Jews, and, and, and Jesus was a Jew, so you got to do what we do. And the Gentiles would respond and say, so are you better than us? Because Jesus was a Jew. And the Jews may respond, yes. To which the Gentiles will say, well, at least we're educated. We're the philosophers. We're the ones that build all the architect. We're smarter. And the Jews may respond, so you're calling us stupid. Well, we're not saying that, but close to it. And then try to bring these two groups together, perverting the gospel. They're bashing one another. And Paul begins to write to them. Jump to chapter 5. As these two groups are butting heads with one another, in verse 15, Paul writes this. If you bite and devour each other, Watch out or you will be what? He said destroyed by each other. You guys, I know you've got diverse backgrounds. But the only thing that matters is Jesus Christ. And you guys are biting at each other. You're perverting. You guys are trying to make them come over to become a Jew. And then when they're a Jew, then they can become a follower of Jesus Christ. You guys need to be on the same plate because you're all on the same team. And all you're doing is biting and devouring each other, which leads to destruction. And destruction, there is nothing good about it. And the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of bite and devour is this image here of a lion absolutely destroying its prey. Paul says, this is what you're doing to each other. You are so diverse, but you're one in Jesus Christ. And biting and devouring leads to this. And it's not just a problem the people in Galatia have. But I think it's a problem we have. It's that eighth grade girl that's sitting there in class and gets a name hurled at her. She's hurt. But then she goes and rallies more groups of girls around her and they begin to hurl names back. And then it's just a flat-out war, verbal assaults on one another. It carries over into the lunchroom. It carries over to Snapchat. And all they're doing is biting and devouring, which leads to destruction. It happens with the husband and wife sitting around the kitchen table. They're looking at all their bills and receipts, and money's tight, but the wife says, I see you bought a fishing reel. The husband says, yes, I needed one. And the spouse responds, but I can never buy a new pair of jeans. And the verbal attacks just start flying back and forth. And Paul would say, you're biting and devouring each other. It only leads to this. See, when we get attacked and conflict arises in our life, 
we take bites. And we bite a little more. And we bite more and more. And Paul says it only leads to destruction. So how do I get out of it? How do I stop biting at my spouse? How do I stop biting and devouring my boss? How do I stop biting and devouring that person at school that I really don't care for? Paul writes in response in verse 16, Paul says this, so I say, what is it church? Walk by the Spirit. You want to stop biting and devouring each other, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Paul says oftentimes in our lives. Hey, Adam Miller, you come up here? No, <laughs> We can box, buddy. We can box. <laughs> Paul says this. Paul says there's a flesh and there's the spirit. And our natural bent is for the flesh. And the flesh and spirit are absolutely in conflict with one another. And when the flesh wins out, that's when you begin to devour and bite at each other. And you want your flesh to finally lose out. The Spirit must knock out the flesh. You must walk by the Spirit. Well, how do we walk by the Spirit? Number one, what you're doing right now. Just attending church on a weekly basis to get filled in that way. But it doesn't stop there. It carries over into your devotion life, into your prayer life. What are you doing every single day to be filled by the Spirit? Because Paul warns to the church that is biting and devouring each other, he says, these two are at war with each other. And your flesh desires what's contrary to the Holy Spirit. So who's winning in your life? Who's winning? For some of us, once a week is not enough. Faith is a 24-7 thing. You can't let just this one experience fill you up, and hopefully for the next six days, you are filled. It will not happen. So why go all this extra effort? Why does Paul write those nine characteristics, those nine supernatural responses? Because when we're walking with the Spirit and the Spirit's winning out the flesh, Paul says your natural response to any conflict as these two are facing will be love, joy, peace, patient, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because deep down when your 16-year-old daughter is supposed to be home at 11 o'clock, she's not there yet, and you're staying up midnight 
one o'clock, two o'clock, she finally shows up. And your natural bent inside is your flesh is so on fire. And you just want to, mm. that's the nice way, of, nice way of saying it. But you know right now, oh God, I need patience right now. Because that's not my natural bent right now. And when you're at the funeral home, experiencing absolutely devastating loss, you so deeply desire joy. You deeply desire to have a peace about this. And when the man is in his car in front of the party store that's been addicted to alcohol, knows I should not go down that path. Right now in his car, he's praying, oh God, give me the self-control because right now my natural bent is to go inside this store. And Paul says these don't come natural to us. When you're in the midst of conflict, when you're in the midst of the deep desires of the flesh, these don't come natural. Because the response of the Spirit in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And over the next several weeks, we'll be unpacking each of these fruits of the Spirit in terms of conflict. How do you have patience when God has consistently not answered your prayer? And you and God are like this right now. How do you experience gentleness when you want to strangle someone? How in the world do you experience love when this person, all they do is hurl insults at you? Yet I'm called to love them. Over the next several weeks, we'll be unpacking this. But the beauty of the message this morning is this. These are available to you now. Every believer, every follower of Jesus, you have the access to these nine character traits in your life. Why? Because the, the tomb is empty. And Jesus grants you power. Power over your natural response for anger, for outburst, whatever it is. Jesus gives you the power to have these evident in your life. And we're going to unpack those for the next several weeks. I want to pray for you. God, we thank you so much, first and foremost, for your power. We thank you for your spirit in our lives. Sometimes, God, our natural bent is anger. Our natural bent is not self-control. Our natural bent is to do what we desire, what the flesh desires and wants. But as you write to us, as Paul writes to the churches in Galatia, it doesn't have to end there. That there is power in the name of Jesus to give us his spirit so we can see those fruits in our lives. So we can respond to conflict in a loving manner the way that you would have us, Jesus. So God, I just pray and ask. Sometimes we just want to jump down people's throats in conflict 
that these nine superpowers be evident in our lives. And we ask this in the powerful, awesome name of Jesus. And everyone together said, amen, amen. At this time, our ushers will come forward. We'll receive this morning's offerings. Great time to drop in that connection card. If you're a first-time guest, you can take that out to the cafe and get free drinks on us. We just want to welcome. And hey, I've been asked, get a lot of questions about what the numbers represented by the doors when you left. Well, we changed them, and we just say now those numbers represent lives surrendered to Jesus this past year. And we had 61 people surrender their lives to Jesus this past year. And I celebrate that, absolutely. But he's not done, and we're not done. I can't wait to see that number go up and up and up. But part of it goes up is because we're allowed to do ministry by your faithful giving here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gifts that you give us. We just ask Jesus that you would bless both the gift and the giver as we faithfully give back to you what is yours. We ask as we pray every Sunday morning, may we see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. May we see your kingdom expand. And may we see the power of Jesus in our lives. May we see the power of Jesus restore marriages. May we see the power of Jesus break addictions. God, may your spirit, may your power pour out on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.